Hi, this is Annie. And this is Bridget. And you're listening to Stuff Mom Never Told You. A couple of weeks ago, a coworker of ours, Christopher, hi Christopher, sent us an article about slut shaming of journalists in India, and it was quite a terrifying read. The article was published in the New York Times and was written by Indian journalist Rana Ayub. In 2016, she published a book about her findings during her eight months of undercover research, mostly pertaining to the complicity of the current prime minister, Narendra Modi, and the president of the ruling party, Amit Shah, in the riots that took place in Gujarat in 2002. A common topic that comes up in our journalism is the prime minister's silence when it comes to the violence against minorities and lower caste groups. And she's also critical of her government's Hindu nationalist politics, which means she, like several other female journalists in India, has become a target of a coordinated attack online, one that employs slut-shaming and rape threats. Whoever's behind the campaign, Prime Minister Modi and a handful of his ministers follow on social media, which only gives them more power and credibility. Oh, that's disgusting. Unfortunately, the slut-shaming of journalists is nothing new, but what Ayub's going through is truly, truly horrifying. At first, it was your run-of-the-mill slut-shaming BS, but it escalated when a tweet from a knockoff account of India's biggest right-wing television network, Republic TV, went viral. Now, this tweet attributed a false quote to Ayub, claiming that she supported child rapists. The tweet was translated into Hindi by the Facebook page of Hindu nationalist monk and the chief minister of the most populous state of India, which got an even more social media traction. Of course, Ayub publicly denied ever having said anything of the sort, but the damage was done. Her inbox, her phone, her social media, all flooded with messages shaming her for this view, which had been attributed to her and calling for people to gang rape her. Now keep in mind, she never actually even said this. This was a falsely attributed quote but it really didn't matter. Members of Modi's party didn't delete their tweets affirming the lie either, even after she made it clear that it wasn't true and that it came from an unreliable source. Yeah, and a day later, another Photoshop tweet went viral. This one reading, I hate India and Indians, setting off another onslaught of threats and vitriol. And that night, that night, she found out that a two and a half minute pornographic video with her face on another woman's body was circulated over WhatsApp. And she was very upset, rightfully so, and started looking into the options open to her. She took the video to a friend of hers that specializes in tech forensics. And he told her it was obviously a fake, one probably produced by an app called Deep Fake. But as you can imagine, that was little consolation to her. People were taking screenshots of it and posting it in her social media feeds. People commented on these screenshots that it was clear she was a prostitute. They asked her for her rates. Men alleging to be Hindu nationalists sent unsolicited nudes to her. Yeah, and it doesn't stop there. Somebody used her name to make a Twitter account and doxed her, sending out her name, phone number, and address with the comment, quote, I'm available. After her father got a screenshot of this video, this is so sad, he basically told her that he wasn't surprised and that he actually was surprised it didn't happen sooner because these people are trying to break her. Yeah. Finding out who's behind this targeted campaign is near impossible, but Ayub did notice that most of the people who posted the video on social media 
are self-identified supporters of Prime Minister Modi, supporters who are also behind the idea of a Hindu-only India. The administrator of a Facebook page that posted the video sent her a message reading, See, Rana, what we spread about you, this is what happens when you write lies about Modi and Hindus in India. She reported these fake accounts to the cybercrime division of the police. And this is really like tale as old as time when it comes to women trying to use slut shaming into silencing us for basically just doing our jobs. You see it in journalism and politics and sexual assault cases and all those Me Too's. Slut shaming women for speaking up about things is, I mean, it's just what happens. Like I've heard so many stories like time and time and time and time again, that being used as a tool to oppress and silence women. Yeah. And an editor and critic of Hindu Nationalist and the woman who published Ayub's book in the Kannada language, she had been murdered a year before this incident outside of her home. So this is... That's terrifying. It really is. We have some numbers about just how terrifying it is. But first, we're going to pause for a quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. All right. So first of all, when trying to get a handle of how big a problem that this is, three of the top five results were a ranking of hotness of female journalists. When I was typing in (laughs) kind of my search results, the autocorrect was like, how hot is this female journalist? So that's a problem right there. The 2017 Killing the Messenger report out of the International News Safety Institute saw a disturbing increase in the murder of female journalists. In general, UNESCO found that from 2006 to 2016, 930 journalists have been killed doing their job. One journalist every four days for the last decade. Over half of those deaths took place in countries like India or Mexico, countries not at war. The number of female journalists killed as proportionately compared to their male counterparts is at its highest percentage in eight years right now. Wow, that's really scary. That I mean, it sickens me. I also think that when we were talking about attacks on female journalists worldwide, but I can't help but notice the ways that here in the United States, it's not like we are in a time period where we're showing journalists respect here. You know, we like making attacks on journalists in tweets, in in the media is a common attitude. And I think when you look at these numbers of how many journalists, how many female journalists have been killed just for reporting, it kind of puts those kind of things in context, right? It kind of it kind of makes it clear that even joking or implying about killing a journalist, like I remember seeing a, a t-shirt at a rally that was like tree plus rope plus journalist, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, mainstreaming these attitudes that attacks on the press are okay really becomes abhorrent when you look at these numbers that you just talked about. Yeah, pretty deplorable. If we look at India specifically, female journalists are the frequent targets of online threats. The deputy country representative of UN Women India said... The freedom of the press is fundamental to a thriving and fully functional democracy. Women or men shouldn't have to bear a price for speaking up as journalists. It must not be an act of bravery for women journalists to speak the truth and represent the facts. And after the death of the editor we mentioned earlier, Golri Lankesh, someone posted a call for the murder of several other female journalists on Facebook. In March of 2018, 
A bunch of journalists protested in Delhi and staged a sit-in outside of police headquarters after two female journalists were assaulted by police at a public university. And as a whole, India comes in 13th on the Global Impunity Index, which gauges the unlikelihood that a country will punish the murder of journalists, according to the Committee to Protect Journalists, CJP. The 2018 World Press Freedom Index is 138, which is below Palestine and Afghanistan for India. Wow. And the problem is even worse in rural areas of India. From 1992 to 2016, up to 70 journalists were killed in India and most of them near their homes. Of those, 27 have been officially recognized as murder cases, and none of them have seen a conviction. A breakdown of what topics these murder journalists covered showed that two topics most dangerous to dive into were politics and corruption. Yeah, no surprise there. Yeah, I mean, what says no corruption? Like, <laughs> people who write about corruption being murdered. Yeah. No- nothing says on the up and up like that. Nope. And there are so many, so many accounts of female journalists in India telling of the violence that they face, the threats, the online harassment of mobs of angry men showing up outside their houses. For example, of scale, one female journalist received over 2,000 abusive phone calls after she moderated a speech. Moderated a speech! Most of those phone calls were about her sex life. Ugh. Yeah. A report from the International Women's Media Foundation found that almost half of female journalists reported experiencing sexual harassment at work, and over 80% of those cases went unreported. And in fact, in 2015, after a woman reported that the channel head had sexually harassed her, she was fired. So that, again, it just sounds tale as old as time. It's like, at this point, it's almost standard operating procedure that if you're a woman who is sexually harassed at work, one, because of the climate of fear and you know, retaliation, you're probably not going to report because there's not systems that will protect you. And if you do end up speaking out anyway, you might get fired. Yeah. And female journalist Neha Dixit, who has dealt with more than her fair share of harassment, said, when you publish a story, the discussion is not about the story. It's about your sex life. In my case of the recent Outlook story, officiating members of the ruling party were retweeting such tweets. A male journalist doesn't face this kind of backlash. He is not sexually abused. I just want to pause there for a second because this takes me back to our video games episode. When I started writing and blogging and doing media stuff, I, I, like most women, got a lot of really gross, sexist, racist crap. And people would say, oh, that's just the price you pay for putting yourself out there. You know, if you don't like, that's just the name of the game. Like everybody gets criticism, but it's different. If it's like men who write these things, as she says, are not being like the victims of slut shaming and endless chatter about their sex lives and having you know, getting doxxed, that is something specific to women. And so I think there's this popular attitude that, hey, if you don't want this kind of abuse, don't become a journalist, don't become a public media figure. But what they're dealing with is not your average everyday criticism that you could expect when you start speaking publicly on something. It is gendered, it is sexist, it is misogynistic, and it is gross, and it's not okay. And it's different from what men are dealing with. Her male counterparts who are writing are not dealing with endless chatter about his sex life and rape threats. Yeah, and this makes me think of two things. One, one time at work, we we used to regularly post videos to a YouTube channel called Brain Stuff, which is still an audio podcast, and it's great. But we noticed that we had rotating out 
five main hosts, and sometimes we brought in other hosts, but we had five main hosts, and two were women, three were men. And we noticed the comments were very different if the female hosts were doing the video versus the male hosts. So one time, just as like for kicks as an experiment, we did the exact same video, the exact same script, one with the male host, one with the female host, and then just compared the comments. And lo and behold, for the male host, it was like, wow, interesting topic. I thought that was really informative. And for the female host, it was like, I don't like the shade of her lipstick. What's going on with her hair? Like all of this stuff that had nothing to do with the video. And then... Another thing that this makes me think of that I do want to do a video on soon, I'm just not sure that there's been a lot of research on it, but for a while, it was part of most of our job requirements here. We had to read and respond to every comment. And for women, a lot of times those comments are sexually charged or abusive or just not fun to read. (laughs) And we... We're curious how that plays into like a company's sexual harassment policy when you're forced to deal with kind of these jerks online that are harassing you. And at the time, there was no good answer because it was still like the Wild West of of the Internet. And there was kind of this, well, if you put yourself out there, then that's what happens. So I'm I'm interested to see as companies have to face this reality that women, unfortunately, right now have to deal with a different set of comments and abuse online. How is that going to be taken into account into like sexual harassment policies? Well, certainly we should. I mean, I understand that this is a, a evolving sort of new thing that people are getting a handle on, but certainly the answer should not be to pretend like those discrepancies don't exist because they do. And so I feel like the inclination is to be like, oh, well, it's part of your job for everybody, but not acknowledging that, you know, when you're a woman, that part of your job is very different than when you're a man. I feel like the the temptation is to just ignore it, but ignoring the problem doesn't make it go away. No, it doesn't. And another female Indian journalist, she wrote a story about how she wears a fake wedding ring to ward off sexual harassment when she's in the field doing a story. And she wasn't the only one with this idea As a reporter working in Afghanistan, one of the recommendations of the Afghan National Union of Journalists is for unmarried women to wear fake wedding rings so as to stave off harassment. This is an official recommendation, but according to her, it hasn't been all of that effective, which is not very surprising. Yeah, that was our trick when I was working as a server at a restaurant and a hostess. That That was our trick, like, because you got hit on and harassed so often She's right. Like It's not always effective, but just saying, no, I'm not interested. Thanks is not effective. And I almost feel like you, your agency as a woman is so much less respected than a fictional man who's not even there. It's like, oh, there's a man in the mix. OK, like that's the only thing that would like maybe stave it off. But even she's right. It wasn't that effective. But yeah, that was like an old server's trick when I was working in a restaurant. I've never tried that, but I used to, you know, just say I have a boyfriend. And it got to the point, though, where whoever said dude was would say, like, let me see a picture, prove it. And then, like, even if at one point I would, like, show a picture of, you know, just a a male friend of mine, they'd be like, well, I'm hotter than him, right? (laughs) (laughs) It didn't matter. It didn't matter. Speaking of awful, awful male behavior, the 2014 conviction of three men of gang raping a journalist 
drew support for the men from the regional party, with the leader of the party saying, quote, boys make mistakes. They should not hang for this. We will change the anti-rape laws. So they gang raped somebody and they were the ones who were getting support from this party. Disgusting. Yeah. And even after all of this women face, they are frequently dismissed with the question, quote, what journalism can women do? This credibility gap between men and women is something we see around the world. It is definitely not unique to India, but <laughs> women are putting up with more and having to deal with more and then questions about just how good are you at your job anyway. Absolutely. And I know I go off on this soapbox a ton, but this is what pisses me off. So we have all these questions of, are women as good as men? Can a woman report as well as a man? Like that's, if you are a journalist, I'm sure that you've heard these conversations. Women, not only are they as good as, and oftentimes quite a bit better than men, they are doing so under unimaginable circumstances. So not only do you have to be the top of your game to get where you are, you have to be able to put up with that you should never have to put up with. Like, show me a male journalist who can report from a war zone while knowing he's going to be sexually harassed or, you know, that if once his story goes up, he's going to be doxxed and a picture of him naked is going to be sent to his dad. Like, women and men are doing the same stuff, but women are also putting up with this extra burden of BS just because of our gender. And I think when I hear people be like, oh, can a woman do this as well as a man? Not only are we doing it better than men, we are doing it, it's like, running a marathon with a backpack full of rocks on your back, right? Like we are do we are excelling and we are doing it under worse circumstances than you are. So how dare you even ask the question, what can a woman report on? Like it's just, I find it so offensive. It makes me, it makes me so angry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. I feel again that we get told this story that women complain more and they're more dramatic. But if we're putting up with all of this, and doing our job on top of that, and really not complaining that much. <laughs> I don't understand why, why we are still, as societies around the world, asking, can women do this? I've said it before, and I'll say it again. Ginger Rogers did everything that Fred Astaire did, only backward and while wearing heels. <laughs> So we have a little bit more for you, but first we're going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. If we're talking about solutions, uh, a suggestion I ran into a lot is to assemble a group of experienced journalists and have them draft proposals for journalist safety on a national level, possibly setting up an office that solely looks into attacks on the press. Another frequent suggestion is that media companies should provide security protection for their reporters. Female reporters themselves have advocated for safety and transport, which is not <laughs> at all guaranteed when you're a journalist in India, and an increased concern from media organizations about the welfare of their journalist. A designated place to lodge complaints, perhaps an online space where female journalists can share their experiences and advice, and an organization that offers legal advice, basically some some infrastructure to to help deal with this problem, some places to go, where a designated place to lodge your complaint. Because from the stories I read, it sounds like a lot of the journalism institutions in India 
don't guarantee your safety. And, and in fact, like if you come back and report, they're sort of like, well, <laughs> what did you expect? Yeah, exactly. But ultimately, as is usual, it's a question of respecting women and working to change gender biases. For example, when discussing the obstacles faced by female journalists in 2015, the Minister of State for Information and Broadcasting's solution was essentially stand doors, ladies, um, and that they would be, quote, far better utilized without actually going out into the field. So don't change anything. Just stay inside. That was the answer. (laughs) That's wrong for so many levels. Not the least of which is that you get better reported stories when there are different perspectives. Like, there are issues happening out in the field that pertain to people who aren't men. Don't you think that it's going to be better to have someone who might bring a different perspective to that situation that a man maybe could not bring? Like, not only is this sexist and gross and setting up a really bad culture, it's just bad for journalism when you only have one type of person and their perspective and their biases and their understandings re- reflected in journalism. Like, you're, we're going to get better media if we can get a handle on the sexual harassment issue in journalism. Like, we're, like, we're all going to be better served. Yes, that makes sense to me, Bridget. <laughs> <laughs> I think you're you're right that the things that you talked about as solutions are important and will be good steps. But ultimately, it's about a it's about a radical culture shift of how we see women in the workplace, not just in journalism, not just in India, but writ large. Yes, one hundred percent. Um, so that brings us to the end of this episode. We'd love to hear from any listeners in India. Or, or anywhere else. Um, we love looking at issues all around the world. And this brings us to listener mail. Kate wrote, The part of your discussion I found most interesting was your take on the lack of men in fan fiction and your hypothesis that men don't take it seriously or maybe don't find it necessary to participate in, which makes it a largely female-dominated pastime. And because it is female-dominated, fan fiction is largely a safe and welcoming space for all types of expression. My experience on Reddit has been that women are drawn to fan fiction or fan communities not because the communities are welcoming. The communities are welcoming because they are mostly women. And when men become a vocal group in that fan space, it ruins things. For a long time, I read fan fiction totally without community. I obviously knew other people were reading and writing fic, but I didn't know how or where to interact with them online. So when I found the Harry Potter fan fiction sub on Reddit a couple of years ago, I thought I had finally found my people. But that sub, despite being filled with Harry Potter fans, who are typically some of the kindest fans on the internet, is filled with toxic masculinity. Demographic polls in that sub have found that most people there are men. The main fics that are requested, recommended, and upvoted are Harry paired with hot girls, in quotes, like Fleur or Mary Sue's, like Daphne Greengrass. Some of the most popular fics include plot lines where Harry is super rich, powerful, and good-looking with a harem of wives. So basically wish fulfillment for straight men. For a long time, any request for slash pairings would get comments like, why would anyone want to read that? Or, that's disgusting. To be fair, the mods have been trying to crack down on it, but it is pretty pervasive. Personally, I read primarily dreary and remus slash serious fix, but really I am open to all pairings, slash and het. I hated being ridiculed for the pairings I read on the main Harry Potter group, which is why about 18 months ago, I started my own sub just for slash fix. 
once I started that group, I got a taste of the lovely, welcoming fandom groups Annie talked about on the pod. Everyone is so great and supportive. We recently did a little demographic poll, the results being that most people on our sub are women, but mostly not straight women. It is a big mix of sexualities. If any of the listeners or you guys are interested, we are at reddit.com slash r slash hp slash fic. Thank you so much for sharing that. I, I have not, as Bridget found out earlier, delved much into Reddit. So I didn't really know until I heard from a lot of you listeners what the, the fan fiction situation is over there. And it's been really enlightening and fascinating to hear from you. And I'm so glad that you created this kind of welcoming, supportive space on Reddit. And they have 1.2K subscribers. So good job. Well done. Yeah, definitely want to check it out. Melissa wrote, have either of you read the book Fangirl by Rainbow Rowell or the semi-sequel spinoff Carry On? I love this writer, so I'm a little partial. Eleanor and Park is probably my favorite from her if you're just dipping your toes in. In Fangirl, Kath is a new college freshman who's painfully but relatably awkward at times. Like she doesn't know how the meal card system works, so instead of asking for help, she eats granola bars until her roommate finds out, which is something I would totally, totally do. Kath is the author of a really popular fan fiction called Carry On that's based on what is clearly Harry Potter. Kath writes the two male leads who hate each other in the imaginary series Fall in Love. As if this isn't enough, wait, there's more. The author then wrote an entire novel called Carry On. It's a little cheesy at times, mostly because it's a knockoff of Harry Potter's vibe, but the two romantic characters are male. Both are an interesting perspective of fan fiction that I recommend. I read some fan fiction years ago, but I definitely didn't realize the huge impact it can have on people and the level of storytelling that happens. Me neither. I've actually been so interested and inspired having listeners like you write in about their experiences with fan fiction. Like, I'm a complete novice to it, so I didn't know any of this. It really is just an inspiring, uplifting thing that so many people are finding, you know, finding themselves in fan fiction. I just, I love it. I do too. And I did run across this book a lot when researching that episode, and I Definitely want to check it out now. So please keep the letters coming, fan fiction or otherwise. We'd love to hear from you. Our email is a momstuff at howstuffworks.com. And you can always find us on the social means. We're on Instagram at Stuff Mom Ever Told You and on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast. And as always, thanks to our producers, Kathleen Quillian and Dylan Fagan. And thanks to you for listening. Mm-hmm.